1: Jay, What if I told you that after Week 7's games have concluded, the oldest quarterback in the league with at least a 95 passer rating is Geno Smith. He is 32. Everyone older than him is having, uh, let's just say, a, a season that we're not used to. Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, all these guys. It is... It is not the year of the older quarterback, that's for sure, but uh, we have a lot to talk about today, including why that might be, why a lot of these old guys are are getting the absolute hell beat out of them. It was a little bit of a rough week of football, unless you like defense, in which case it was Nirvana, but uh, for the offensively inclined, a little bit of a rough week of football. Uh, Before we get to all that, though, EJ, my partner in crime, buddy, how you doing? How'd you enjoy week seven? What are you drinking this morning? How's your morning?
2: It's a good morning, and Father Time is undefeated. We we thought Father Time was taking some L's over the last couple of years. He He's come raging back, and uh, he's showing himself again. I uh, have escaped his grasp this morning. I'm ready to go. I have coffee as we're firing this thing up first thing. How did I enjoy the week? It was a fascinating week of football. I... I'm always sort of continually fascinated by football, but it's these random ups and downs. And this week was a little bit of an upside down week compared to what we've seen even over this season, but certainly over the previous season. So that's interesting, right? That's the that's the curveball in football. That's the that's the change up, the thing that you don't expect. And that makes it and keeps it interesting. So we've got plenty to talk about. Full show. Ready to go. Let's fire it up.
1: Well, first little bit of news and notes is uh, we're going to go see one of those older quarterbacks live. We're heading out to Buffalo for week eight. We're going to be at Packers-Bills Sunday night in Buffalo. EJ's heading out, uh, I think, Wednesday. So we're going to do the Thursday night football live stream, which is Ravens-Bucks off the top of my head. Another older quarterback that struggled this week. Uh, he's going to be doing the stream from Buffalo, and then that next morning, I'm flying out to Buffalo myself, and I'll be there till Wednesday. So uh, if you want to come tailgate with us, we're going to be over at the Mudlot with the Rock Power Report guys. They've already previewed the whole menu. They got uh, they got prepped for the tailgate. It is ridiculous, as all Bill's tailgates are. So uh, if you guys want to drink and, and eat and hang out and then go watch a football game with us, come out to the Mudlot
2: uh, this coming Sunday, and uh, we'll chop it up. It's going to be a great time. The menu is indeed ridiculous. We will post a graphic of where the Mudlot is. Drew and Chris have been fantastic. Pre-hosts, they're going to be fantastic while we're there as well. We've known those guys for a while and they are stoked about it. We are stoked about it. It's going to be a good time. Podcast might come out a little bit later last next week. Because we're not gonna <laughs> yeah. be getting home till probably after midnight. We keep forgetting about that East Coast time thing. We're thinking, oh, Sunday night game starts at like five eight thirty. Oh, okay. So we're gonna be we're gonna be there elbow to elbow with all of our East Coast listeners who have to stay up late to watch football. And uh, yeah, we might get up a little bit later the next morning. Something tells me
1: every time I go to the East Coast, like I was just in Miami for for Bills Dol- Dolphins not too long ago. I always forget about how hard it is to watch football on the East Coast until it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm watching the Broncos attempt to play football in prime time. That that was the week there was uh, Broncos Niners Sunday night. And I was like, good God, people got work tomorrow and you're subjecting (laughs) them to this shit? Like, what are we doing here? So, yeah, it's it's tough to be an East Coast football fan, man. West Coast is great. I wake up, I roll out of bed, game start at 10, got my coffee, got my breakfast.
2: It's good life out here. Life's yeah, you it. do forget about it. I grew up watching football like that on the East Coast, and yeah, the games don't oh, start for a, they don't start for a long time. It is it is a lot easier to consume football on TV on the West Coast, I think. But uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that because actually, my buddy who still lives in New York, a couple of my high school friends are coming up, and he was like, "We're not getting home till like twelve thirty or one," and I was like, "What are you talking?" <laughs> oh wait yeah 8 30 start three-hour game plus getting a- oh yeah plus, it's right. rogers
1: allen so you know nbc is going to be getting every commercial break they possibly can out of that so, why not Yeah why not anyway. it's going
2: to be a good time we're looking forward to it uh, and yeah if you want to come hang out with us do so it's going to be a lot of food a lot of fun and hopefully some really fun football for the home fans uh one last little bit of news we have a
1: new executive producer this week ej liam welcome aboard to the top tier over on patreon uh we appreciate you hopping aboard on that executive producer tier uh there's only six of you now the the mighty six executive producers liam is now one of them so again thank you for supporting us thank you for believing in the show couldn't do this without you uh all right let's talk about some football particular that Thursday night game that we streamed and typically after TNF we we don't get to do a whole lot of post-show because we haven't gone back and watched the film yet and kind of you know looked at some some key metrics and everything like that what I didn't realize at the time that we were doing the stream like it kind of felt like it but seeing these numbers afterward really really kind of hit home for how one-sided that game should have been saints and cardinals okay so the saints just let's compare statistics real quick the saints seven yards of play cardinals had about five and a half they had two more possessions they had almost 500 yards of offense 494 yards uh they put up 400 yards passing andy dalton actually had kind of a monster game statistically but three turnovers which resulted in essentially a 21-point swing because you had the pick sixes, you had the one that was thrown in the end zone, basically a 21-point swing there. And for whatever reason, uh, the Cardinals decided to have their best rushing game of the year, both efficiency-wise and in terms of explosives. Eno Benjamin was awesome. His contact balance was insane. They broke off that big run on Dart, which I broke down uh Last Friday, I believe it was, I posted a breakdown of that big run that you know had on Dart where they pulled the tackle and everything. It was just a a masterfully constructed running game, plus the defense stepped up, and it almost made it to the point where all the offense the Saints were getting there in the second half kind of empty calories because they were pretty much out of the game by the end of the second quarter. Uh, it was it was kind of wild. They went up from like fourteen to six to down by two possessions in. 90 seconds of game clock. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And that game, I think, was the poster child for, you could do everything right, but if you screw up four plays out of 70 in a football game, you can
2: still lose pretty convincingly. Badly. And that's the... That's the kicker. It was a fun game for all of you that came out, hung out with us on Thursday. We got interesting. We we prayed for interesting, and we got an interesting, fun football game that was back and forth, which was in stark contrast to the previous two weeks. But it's also a poster child game for not stat watching because if you look at the stats for that game, specifically the Andy Dalton stats, I'm going to pick on Andy a little bit, 30-47 Three hundred and sixty-one yards, four TDs. At that point, the stat line sounds like holy shit. That team won. Guy put up almost five hundred yards, three for three scores. Like efficiency is not great, but like yeah, that's that's winning football. Whoops. <laughs> With Andy Dalton, you get the other part, which is the three back-breaking interceptions. One that was in the red zone should have had a touchdown the other two go straight back for scores like (laughs) there's no translation period of like oh we need to drive and get a field goal like those doomed the saints and then the cardinals who've been mm, volatile extremely up and down decide to put up you know quite a few points of their own on offense Eno benjamin like you said one of our favorites puts up a really good rushing day but the thing i didn't realize again till we get to go back was he put up damn near 100 yards on 12 carries felt like to me in that game he had way more because he had some touches in the passing game as well so it just felt like he was super involved I was like oh yeah you know like 100 yard game I don't know 15 18 carries like that's a really no 12 carries and you're like okay they mixed
1: in a lot of Keontae Ingram especially in the red zone you know kind of a slash and
2: bash type approach and it worked man That's the thing is it was so starkly slash and bash. Eno Benjamin, 12 for 92, 7.7 a carry. Keontae Ingram, 9 for 14, 1.6 a carry. They both had a touchdown. Mm -hmm. So in terms of thunder and lightning or lightning and thunder, however you want to look at that, Two completely different roles, Keontae Ingram really filling the thing they're missing from with James Conner on the sideline. Uh that really slamming in between the tackles, short yardage situation, heavy, powerful runner, and then Eno doing his Eno things. Was it was fun to watch. It was a great game. Thanks to everybody who came out and hung out with us. Come out again this Thursday. We'll be doing the first uh by coastal uh Thursday night live broadcast. <laughs> I'll be in Buffalo, you'll still be back in SoCal. So a lot of fun, but a, a fascinating game. And that was, let's just say, much needed for a Thursday night contest. And
1: uh, I, I actually made money on it, on my price pick slips. So I, I know we were sweating it out the entire time, uh, but I actually came out positive because I lucked my way into hitting three out of five. So I made 20 bucks on a $50 slip. But I came oh so close. Oh so close to hitting that 10x payout and getting a $500 slip. I just needed like four more receiving yards from Eno and I needed 40 more passing yards from Kyler. If they didn't run the ball so damn well, I probably <laughs> would have got 5 out of 5, but I'll still take the 3 out of 5. I hit the over on DeAndre Hopkins at 62 and a half, which was the most free number that I saw all week. He ended up over 100 cuz I'm like, yeah, of course, he's the linchpin of the passing game. Like they're going to target him like crazy, and they did. That was an easy over uh Camara over 32 and a half receiving also seems very free these days that was 56 uh and then Jawan Johnson uh, they they set the over under at two and a half receptions and I was like okay well Michael Thomas is out Jarvis Landry is out Olave's getting a million targets a game but they still got to throw to somebody else enter Jawan Johnson who had five targets himself so um it was a pretty easy slip the process was good I just barely missed on a couple But I still ended up positive for the week, so uh, I'll take it. I'll take the 20 bucks. Uh, I'm going to put in another slip for this Thursday's stream, Ravens-Buccaneers, which I think is going to be way, way harder, (laughs) to be honest, Mm -hmm. because both offenses are not super great right now. Uh, And so it's going to be a little little tougher for me to find overs that I like, but I'm going to do my best, stop by the stream on Thursday to figure out uh, along with me, how we're going to play this thing. And if you want to do a slip of your own on Prize picks, you can use promo code bootleg and they'll match your deposit up to a hundred dollars. And uh we'll sweat that game out together. So hopefully you come out for it.
2: It'll be a good time. You're right. I, it is a much more high variance game. Things like the Hopkins over were like, come on. He ended yeah. up with 10 for 103, which you could have seen six miles away with him returning from suspension. He's just too important to that passing game. But after what, we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show what the Bucs did yesterday, what the Ravens did yesterday. Um, yeah, betting on that game is going to be um, all over the board. You take, might... take your
1: Justin Tucker over one and a half <laughs> field goal because I think that's what we're getting. Uh, I,
2: I, is it that low?
1: <laughs> usually. Usually okay. the, the kickers are kind of freebies in my experience. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pad the stats with that.
2: Yeah, you might need that one as a as a whole card for sure because it it's going to be more high variance, but it should be an entertaining game. A lot of high quality football players on both sides. We'll uh, like you said, we'll sweat it out together. Should be a good time.
1: Uh, all right, EJ. Let's get to three up. Three up number one. Uh, I swear to God, this is the most we've ever talked about the Giants in one football season so far, but we're going to keep doing it as long as they keep winning. Giants take down the Jags once again in dramatic fashion, which I think is the only way the Giants know how to play under Brian Dable is we're going to go into the fourth quarter. We're going to be down. We're going to make the plays we need to make. Saquon's going to do something amazing, and and we're just going to come out with a dub. Like, that's literally the Giants formula. And to me, I don't want to say they're like a, a team of destiny, but they kind of feel like it because they can play objectively like ass for 70% of the game. And yet, when they really need to make a play, Daniel Jones will rip off a big run. Saquon will make an entire front seven miss by himself and get a first down. Um, you know, he'll hit a big throw to Slayton. The defense, you know, they're gonna they're gonna strip Etienne essentially at the goal line and take away a touchdown for the Jags. They're gonna get a fourth and inches stop. They're gonna get a late third and five stop on a brilliant play on a little uh, return out and, and and force a punt late. And then they're gonna stop Christian Kirk short of the goal line on a little like bang eight that they ran, and they just put like a picket fence defense at the goal line. They're gonna stop him six inches short. That's, what, six plays in the entire game? And it's almost like the opposite of the Saints, where they played super well, but they gave it away on a handful of plays. The Giants played super average, but won the game on a handful of plays. And that's just what they do. Like, when they need to step up and make a play, they fucking make plays. And it's remarkable. and It shows the resiliency. It shows the tenacity. It shows how well-coached they are, how disciplined they are, how much they bought in. Like this team never quits and to be six and one with this roster, which objectively speaking is an okay roster. Like they cobbled it together under the, under the salary constraints they could, but like they, like they barely got there in the off season and they're six and one. And it's a credit to Dable. It's a credit for Daniel Jones playing better this year. It's a credit to Wink Martindale on the defense. It's, it's a team of destiny sort of ish kind of, and
2: I, I got to admit, EJ, they're fun to watch. They're super fun to watch. And they are approaching that status of Team of Destiny. And watching this team find ways to win this year is the most stark turnaround from where they were in many previous years. This is a team that for a long time, and Giants fans know this very well, has found ways to lose. And as soon as something went badly or poorly or against them, That was kind of it, because their window to compete was really small, and their window to compete is still pretty small. This is not like a Seahawks team, where their draft class has provided them instant fuel all the way across the board with big contributions. They're all contributing, but in smaller ways than a team like the Seahawks. So a lot of this core, Daniel Jones and Saquon, a lot of the offensive line, most of the receivers, they were all here last year, and they didn't play anything like this and seeing them overcome those little things that used to kill them is a testament to Dable and the coaches and everybody buying in. We started to see it in the first few weeks. We've continued to see it now for the rest of the season. The Giants are 6 and 1 despite not having a single player with 200 yards receiving. Like wait, in a game or for the season? For the season. Jesus. Richie James has 191 <laughs> yards. Richie James is the leading receiver. That's your first cue. What?
0: Second, oh he has God.
2: 191 yards. We talked about last week how they're leaning on Saquon. You said it in your segment. How? When they need somebody to make a play, Saquon is the guy. Last, you know, Yesterday was no different. 24 carries, 110 yards. He's banging it out. He also had 25 more receiving. So, This is a team that is playing as a team, and a team like that needs coaching. They need belief. They need to play together. Yesterday, the wide receivers, aforementioned wide receivers, had a bunch of bad drops, like Daniel Jones, and I I put out this tweet people know me too well because i put out this tweet and people were like okay blink twice if you're okay ej <laughs> i was like the wide receivers are going to have to help daniel jones he's hitting them and they're dropping them and that's the kind of thing one or two of those in previous seasons were steps they couldn't climb over like oh big drop would have been a you know third down conversion they just they would have gone in the tank this year they dropped multiple of those yesterday and still found a way to do what you're talking about get to the fourth quarter play tough come up with a few clutch plays and get a win it it's an amazing team to watch it's a fun team to watch and it is a team that makes me cry a little bit because i think about all the places dable was rumored to go even the year before (laughs) here it comes well first one's the chargers right because the yeah. year before it was like table to the chargers he he's got justin herbert there he can do the same things with herbert that he did with josh allen they have all this talent and think about how different we're going to talk about the chargers in a little bit think about how different the chargers fortunes would be with all that talent arguably quite a bit more talent than the giants have this year oh not arguably yeah they have it. <laughs> yeah. Way more talent, but they're playing down to their opponents and they're finding ways to lose, which is what the Giants have done for years. This year the Giants are on the other side of that coin with a decent level of talent, but nothing more, and finding ways to win, and that's so cool. Uh speaking of cool, by the way, Joe Cool, the new Joe Cool
1: up in Cincinnati had himself a day of days. And I know that a lot of people were a little bit hesitant about the Bengals early on in the year, thinking, okay, Super Bowl hangover, he threw four picks in week one, and they were pretty ugly picks. Somehow cover two was the the big bad wolf over there in Cincinnati. But the Bengals have bounced back, and in a massive way, and especially Joe Burrow went 34-42 for 481 three touchdowns, no picks. And honestly, if they kept their foot on the gas the entire game, he probably could have thrown for 600. Like it was that type of day for him. And one note that I want to point out here in terms of how stark the turnaround has been for Joe Burrow. And again, didn't have a a, a lot of training camp, didn't have a lot of preseason because of that surgery that he had for, uh, he had his appendix removed, if I recall correctly, like, which is a pretty major surgery like that. You're out for a little bit for that, but didn't really get training camp, didn't really get preseason, came back, started week one, and started slow. Uh, Again, two touchdowns, four picks. Since that game against the Steelers in week one, he's got 16 touchdowns and one pick. So, you know, maybe preseason is important to have. And when you don't get it, you can start a little bit rusty. Just saying, I think that's a note that people should consider. So Joe Burrow's fine, the Bengals are fine. They're still a great team. They're still going to be in it at the very end in the AFC. And right now, based on yesterday's game, if you told me to pick between, uh, you know, Buffalo, Kansas City, and and Cincinnati right now in the end,
2: it, it'd be pretty tough for me to do that. Yeah, early season Bengals versus now more recent Bengals last three to four weeks versus the first three to four weeks, two really different teams. They did not have the answers on offense. Everybody was on the coaching staff saying they need to adjust. And they did. They needed to adjust. And they did. And that's one of the coolest things is last three games have made a huge difference because Bengals EPA per play. And this came from Mike Renner, BFF Mike under center. It's, negative .22, which is 31st in the league. That's all you really need to know. Shotgun, it's .153, which is 4th in the league. And they've been operating almost exclusively out of Shotgun for the last three weeks, which is not something we saw when we saw them in Dallas. By the way, that game in Dallas was pretty much the last really bad game they had. And we yeah, were there, which is a great defense, by the way. So
1: you kind of expect that against Parsons and D law and, and all of them like they're, they're a good defense
2: over there. But for all the curse enthusiasts, we were in the stands for that one. After that, <laughs> you get this new Bengals, more shotgun, more deep ball, more explosive plays. And when these Bengals, this current iteration of the Bengals are hitting the deep ball, they're like a power hitting baseball team. They score early, often, and in bunches. Yesterday, within the first quarter, they were up 14, almost 21 within the first quarter, and they never really kind of let up. At that point, the game was effectively over because when they are hitting those multiple deep balls to multiple receivers, forget it. When Burrow's on that tear, you're not going to keep up with them. And they're good enough in that area, they'd make an old AFL team proud. This is a you know (laughs) Daryl LaMonica bombs away kind of offense, And it works for them. Out of shotgun, it definitely works for them. And they've found their stride in the last month to bring themselves back to that. So if you'd asked me, and folks did in the first month, are you in on the Bengals? I was like, not until they figure it out. They definitely have kind of lost their mojo. They've gotten back to their mojo. And now, yeah, I'm back on the bus. This team is a complete wild card. If it is playing well, you're not going to keep with them. If they're struggling, you might get a game out of it. So it's a fascinating turnaround. I'm really glad the coach has made the adjustment. Happens less than you think sometimes in the NFL. And right now, it's good to have the Bengals back. These are the Bengals that ran through the playoffs and made it to the Super Bowl a year earlier than they were supposed to.
1: One note on the under center versus shotgun thing: some quarterbacks uh, prefer to be in the shotgun because how you see the field is different from there. Um, you know you're already deeper behind the offensive line you know if you're taking like a three-step drop or even a one-step drop and like a hitch for for quick game out of shotgun like you're already in the spot that you want to be as if you were under center and doing like a five-step drop back anyway um and so some guys just like to just be there from the start so that they're not having to focus on anything else and they can just sit there at their depth at seven yards behind the line of scrimmage look for safety rotations, look at how things are expanding and just kind of, you know, use their peripheral vision and and see space and throw to space. Joe is like that. If you're under center, a lot of pass concepts from under center, especially if you're in the play action game, you're turning your back to the defense. And a lot of guys just don't like to do that. Like Ben Roethlisberger famously hated turning his back to the defense. So when he was under center, they just didn't call play action because he didn't like to do it. Um, and and Joe, I think, is the same way. Like, he wants eyes on the defense so he knows where to distribute the ball. And once they made that, that switch and they let him just have eyes on defense at all times, all of a sudden he became Joe Burrow again. So something to take into account. Uh, if they're under center, they're probably running the ball because Joe doesn't like to throw from there.
2: And Joe, we've talked about this, is a great decision maker. He is a pinpoint thrower, and he will hit the open guy. He is not a quarterback that locks onto a receiver. He's willing to throw to whoever the defense left open. He will Mm -hmm. hurt you wherever you leave the opening. And that ability and shotgun, he can see it quicker, and we all know he can deliver the ball. So why would you not want to do that? But some coaches are stubborn, and they're like, no, we need x or x or x despite what the results are and they just kind of feel like they're going to push through to get there the Bengals coaches maybe a little bit of self-preservation maybe a little bit of panic we're like huh works real better this way we should do that right now (laughs) Joe have at it have your vision throw darts go get them and Joe of course was more than happy to oblige and you're seeing the results uh three up number three
1: and I know that we have talked about this a lot over the years, but there's some times where it really hits home how special and how ridiculous and how historic Patrick Mahomes is. This week's game was one of those weeks. And again, this is an offense that you and I have talked several times this year about how they don't have the same explosiveness, like raw explosiveness in the receiving core. So their explosive plays overall are down. They've been trying to figure out the run game. Isaiah Pacheco is becoming the lead guy before our very eyes. You know, the offensive line has been good, but they've been up and down. Um, You know, Creed has been fantastic, but Trey Smith is is. And a little bit rockier than we're used to so again they're still functional up front but not what we expected going into the year they'll probably get there eventually and yet despite all those uncertainties and personnel issues and and slight issues up front they're still statistically the best offense in the league like it it, it is utterly insane and there was a stat that nfl research put out that and i'm quoting them Below is a list of players with the most career games of 400-plus passing yards and 3-plus passing touchdowns since 1950. Drew Brees is at 12, Peyton's at 11, Dan Marino's at 11, Brady's at 10. Mahomes is already at 8. The first four guys on that list played 242 or more career games. Mahomes has played 70, and he's already on that list. Like, this is beyond absurdity. This is historic ridiculousness and as great as a lot of the other quarterbacks in the league are. We love Josh Allen. We love, you know, Justin. Well, (laughs) most of the time we love Justin Herbert. (laughs) Like there's some great young quarterbacks in the league. That is different. That is history. Like that kid that you're watching every week is history and you need to appreciate
2: it while you still can. 100%. If you're looking at that, he's got eight in 70 games. He's getting one every nine-point-something games. So if you extend that out, give him 20 more games, a season and a half, he's going to be tied with Brady and knocking on the door of Marino. Give him two full seasons, he's going to be tied with Manning and Marino. (laughs) Yep. Right? And you give him two and a half seasons, he's going to be the leader on the list in under 100 games all the other guys had 250 games 242 plus right at 100 not even half of the games that all those greats played he's going to be surpassing them in those really great statistical games 400 plus pass yards and three tds mahomes does it regularly he's done it regularly since he came on the scene he, when you look at how far he's taken his team every year that he's had the opportunity, that's unprecedented. He is the baby goat, right? The, mm-hmm. That discussion is over. It is, it is how far he goes, how long he plays, if he can stay healthy, all those factors that start to add into longevity. But in terms of, is he the guy? No, he's the guy that's going to threaten any of those records. He is the guy And it's just about keeping him upright, protect Patrick Mahomes at all costs. He is a national treasure. I know Chiefs (laughs) fans are extremely spoiled and happy to have him, but I will echo what you said. Don't let that become an everyday sort of, oh yeah, it's Pat Mahomes. Uh Uh-uh. It's still special. I know it's hard when he does it every week, but make it special and celebrate it because it is not normal.
1: Yeah. He's... I don't know if I'm ever gonna see something like this again. I mean I probably we will eventually, but how many generations are we gonna have to go before we see something like this again is that that's that's the true question. It might be multiple. He is that ridiculous. One quick note, and then we'll get back to the show. uh, we need to have a little family meeting here, okay. I've looked at our analytics, our average listeners like twenty five all right, so I know who our audience is. We're all adults here. You guys got to take care of yourselves, okay? We got to stay trimmed and groomed up. I know summer's over. It's sweatpants and hoodie season. We're all going to be indoors for the next six months, but that's no excuse, all right? We got to stay clean and tidy. We got to take care of ourselves. I believe in you but we gotta do it. If you don't own a trimmer, but you wanna take care of yourself, you wanna look good, Manscaped does have whatever you need. You can go out and start shopping for individual products and put a list together, but if you don't wanna take the time to do all that, they actually have a package, an all-in-one package that's available. It's the easiest thing ever. They've got the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, it's ceramic blades, it's skin safe, you know, 7,000 RPM motor, it's waterproof, all that stuff. You've heard that a million times. They got the Weed Whacker for ear and nose hair trimming. They've got the Crop Preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver they've got the body wash and shampoo and conditioner i hope you guys already have that but just in case you don't you know they have that available as well they also have the antibacterial body scrubber they've got manscaped boxers and it all comes with a free travel bag to keep everything together if you happen to go on the road for any reason so i know it's fall it's cold we're all going to be gremlins for the next few months but you know take care of yourselves stay clean stay tidy They even have a nail kit available. If you're like me and you suck at taking care of your nails and you have a wife that tells you that you suck at taking care of your nails, that's specifically just for me. So again, if you want anything like this, you want a package that has everything you need all in one so that you don't need to worry about it. You can just buy one thing and and get all the products you need. You can go to manscaped.com and use promo code bootleg and that'll give you 20% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is promo code bootleg at manscaped.com for 20% off your order regardless of how much you need if you need a little if you need a lot if you need everything you can get that discount so again thank you to manscape for partnering with us and with that let's get back to the show uh all right <laughs> the positive portion of the show is over ej <laughs> oh like, like i said there was a lot of bad football played this weekend so we're gonna try try to make it as palatable as we possibly can let's get to three down Okay, uh, three down number one. Mentioned it a little bit in the last segment. Uh, we love Justin Herbert most of the time. Uh, but so far this season, things have not been okay in Charger land, and he's certainly not blameless in it. Uh, let's let's try to get through
2: Charger Seahawks here. Uh, EJ, what was your main take first and foremost? It's time to take some swings in three down, and it's time to take some swings at the Chargers Chargers fans know this. The faithful are restless. They are very restless after yesterday, and I would say with good reason. They're going to be firing up the torches and grabbing pitchforks pretty soon, if they haven't already, if this team continues to stack up what I will call pretty pedestrian losses. This is now a regular thing for the Chargers, and Brandon Staley looks over his head. There are lots of calls for his job tom telesco is not above the fray he's getting some on him despite all the talent he's assembled there because again assembling talent is one thing getting them to play together and win football games is another thing and that's not happening so the sort of ire is washing over onto him as well we're seeing more evidence that loading up on defense is not the way to compete in the current nfl if you look at their salary cap if you look at all the talent they stacked on the defensive side of the ball hired a defensive head coach and said, hey, I think Staley has enough offensive experience to take one of the guys we think is a transcendent talent in the NFL, Justin Herbert, and you know continue his maturation and development until he's in that top tier. We haven't seen it. We've seen a regression. And this team is taking bad losses to teams that it, quote-unquote, should beat on paper. And mm-hmm. I understand that. And now they're charging, And yes, that's a verb we've coined it before, but they picked up injuries to Mike Williams and JC Jackson to go with the injury they already have to Ray Sean Slater. You're starting to lose top candidates. You weren't playing up to expectations even with them in the lineup. It's only going to get harder. The noise is only going to get louder. This is time. I don't want to say time to hit the panic button, but it is full-on what-are-you-going-to-do-for-me-lately-time in Chargerville. I
1: do uh, kind of want to put a spotlight on on Justin Herbert here a little bit. I didn't think I was going to have to do this, but I do want to highlight the lowlights in a sense that he's not seeing the field very well. And I know we could talk about Joe Lombardi being uh, not the most creative offensive coordinator, but even on some pretty simple West Coast concepts, like Herbert is not seeing the field well. In particular, the interception that he threw early in the game uh, yesterday. It, was on, it wasn't quite a Hank concept, it was like a variation of a Hank concept, which is like, typically Hank, you get the curls, and then you get the little, like, sit right over the middle, and you got two flats, and it kind of spaces the defense out. And their variation of it, uh, they were running it against quarter, quarter-half, so you had quarters to the field, and then a half-field safety, they were playing cover two to the boundary, uh, so Tariq Wolland was kind of playing a flat, you had a safety over the top. And they made that boundary-side curl kind of look like it was going to go out as a corner route on like a smash concept, and then it sit down in the hole. Again, it's quarter-quarter-half, pretty basic zone defense. Seattle plays it second most in the league, so I know that showed up in the scouting report. They knew that was coming. And yet, Herbert threw the pick right to the middle hook zone player, and it's like, bro, read it out. Read it out to the boundary. You know where the half-field safety's going to be. You know where they're playing cover two. So if you know that you're getting a horizontal and a vertical stretch on Tariq, uh, Tariq Wolin there in the flat zone and he can't cover both guys, read it out. You know, throw to the hole over there. And if Tariq is playing it really close, guess what? You're going to have a running back wide open in the flat for a whole bunch of yak. So I, d- I don't have an explanation for that. Like, there's really no excuse for missing that type of read against a very basic defense that Seattle plays literally 22% of the time. Only the Vikings play it more than them. And it's a very simple offensive concept as well. There's no excuse for that, especially if you're supposed to be the guy, like we think Justin Herbert is the guy. So it's not just bad coaching. It's not good quarterback play. And I I truly don't know how to fix that if I'm the Chargers. I don't know what to do.
2: That one was baffling. I put out a tweet as soon as he threw that ball and said, that's just a bad ball. Like, he wants that one back. It's just a bad ball. He had two defenders engaged with that receiver. He had one behind him and one in front of him, and he threw it right to the one in front of him. So if you know, again, if you've got four to five receivers going out in that pattern immediately and you've got two defenders on one of them, somebody's open right? Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about in terms of reading Woolen, because a lot of times I think that people think the run game with like RPOs, I think people understand that read, right? I'm keying off a defensive end. I'm keying off a linebacker, whatever. Whatever that guy does, he decides what I do. I either keep it or I let it go. And sometimes the passing game is just that simple. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of fans tend to, overcomplicate the passing game because it is more dynamic and you do have to deal with the rush, but it can be as simple as an RPO. The thing I'm looking for is what that guy does with the two routes that are near him. Whatever he does, it determines what I do. And Herbert, we know, has enough both mental acumen, football intelligence, FBI, and physical skill to do that pretty easily. Like, he can hit whatever Tariq's not going to cover. I don't care where it is on the field. He's got a hose. But he has to look there right and in terms of progression he looked right at the guy in the middle with a guy over the top and a guy underneath and threw it to the guy underneath he threw it right to him so it is a question of okay what are you seeing what are you not seeing he doesn't look comfortable overall and i think again he got a taste we've seen him be able to open up that deep ball and lately they are like they have their thumb on his head in terms of let's keep everything within five to seven yards mostly to the edges a little bit over the middle we're not seeing seam streak balls we're not seeing post sluggos double moves to the corner all the things that he throws really well and makes you light up as a football fan and go oh look at that that's amazing he throws that better than anybody off his back foot with no setup and you know half body turn <laughs> he that that's when he thrives. And it feels like the Chargers are sort of saying, No, 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 don't do that. Do this other thing, which looks, and I'm gonna whisper it, a lot more like Herbert at Oregon, which is why oh, it didn't I like know. Him. I, I know. It looks just like it. And I'm like, wait, we got away from that and went, Oh, he's transcendent because we didn't let him do that in an offense. And we've got him back in that offense now. And my question is why? And I don't have those answers. We're not in that room, we don't understand, but Justin Herbert quite frankly isn't feeling it right now and you can see it on the field yeah, it's like having a ferrari
1: but never taking it out for a drive like what's the point you know like, so like somebody's gonna appreciate it
2: <laughs> I Saw somebody that said he has an offensive coordinator that, you know, basically wants to drive his Ferrari at 60 in a 65 mile an hour. (laughs) And I was like, that's like, nah, you, you want a Ford fusion, my guy. That's what you want. (laughs) That's what we're talking about here. And, and we all hope and, and Chargers fans out there, I'm sure you hope it too. You're certainly saying it on social media. You want to see this open back up because that's where Justin could do damage. Yeah. Their receiving core doesn't necessarily match, but. Like Brett said, there's a lot of opportunities to do it in creative ways, at least a few times, and they're really just not right now, and their entire team is suffering because of it. This week's
1: episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Raycon, and ironically, uh, I actually use these things almost every single day because I typically need to use wireless earbuds about every other day, whether I'm in Zoom meetings or outside media interviews on my laptop, and I don't really want the audio to disrupt my wife while she's working at home or even after work when we're going hiking or biking or any other kind of workout. I use my Raycon earbuds a lot for pretty much all that and they have never let me down before. The audio quality is good. There's noise isolation. There's multiple sound profiles. The in-ear fit is also excellent. The battery life also lasts a long time. It's about eight hours per charge with about 32 hours total for battery life. But the best part is the price honestly because it's a good quality product with all of those different features that you kind of expect these days. But it is way less money than a lot of other premium earbuds are marked up for. It's I'm not even kidding thirty percent of the cost because you're not paying extra for you know branding and status and all that kind of stuff. So if you just want a good set of wireless earbuds and you don't want to pay you know two hundred fifty dollars or more for them, just go get some Raycons. You can go to buyraycon.com and use promo code bootleg15, and that will give you 15% off your order. Again, that is buyraycon.com using promo code bootleg15 for 15% off your earbuds. Thank you again to Raycon for supporting us. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, all right, three down, number two. It's, it's a little bit awkward to do this because they did win, technically, but not super convincingly, or at least in the ways that we were hoping for going into this season. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Jets uh, getting the win yesterday, but uh, there are still
2: concerns, to put it lightly. Yeah, any the Jets are winning, and, and you might say, well, wait, you were pumping up the other New York team at the top of the show for winning, and the Jets are winning, why not pump them up too? We can But what we really want to focus on is any talk of Zach Wilson's ascension as the quarterback of these New York Jets is wildly premature. The Jets are winning. They are playing together as a football team. They are believing, and that's awesome to see, but they are doing it in spite of Zach Wilson, not because of him. And that's the problem. He might find the consistency the Jets need him to find week to week and believe you me, they do need that consistency because this bill will come due. You can win this way for a while, but a prominent injury this week actually puts a crimp in that right now, not eventually. Yeah. And the sticker here is the rest of the Jets, we've talked about this multiple times, built by Joe Douglas, that team is constructed. (laughs) Like, past tense, it is done. That team is constructed. It is ready right now. And Zach Wilson isn't. Over the last two weeks versus Green Bay, he was 10 of 18 for 110 yards and no TDs. And then this week against Denver, he was 16 of 26 for 121 yards and no TDs. So again, they're getting the production from Brees Hall from the running game. The defense is playing just voraciously. All that's great. Problem is, Brees Hall may be gone for the season. We don't have confirmation of that yet, but early reports are that suffered an injury, and he's not going to be there. Yes, they have a backup in Carter that's very capable, but it's not the same sort of game-breaking ability, and Wilson is going to have to take a step up and start delivering somewhere, even in this suppressed offensive season, between 150 and 225 yards a game and at least a touchdown passing. If he can do that, the Jets can probably continue this streak. If he continues at middling just over 100 yards and no TDs every week that ain't the thing we've got to see the progress
1: and it's to me it's not that he's throwing picks or having a bunch of turnover worthy plays because he's not like he's being relatively safe with the ball uh but i almost see it um again i'm not saying they are the same but these are some of the things that we saw with drew Locke early in denver where i'm like can you take a shot down the field like Drew Lock was painfully conservative after his first few games cuz the coaching staff said no 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 no. we're keeping you on a leash and at some point I'm like y- you can't you can't like you need your quarterback to actually stretch the field especially with that receiving core like stretch the field work the ball down the field expand your 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 target zone here cuz like you look at their passing maps they're not completing anything past 10 yards past the line of scrimmage like They're relying almost entirely on, like uh, let's get like the one big Brees Hall play a game that we can, but now we think that's gone. So where are you going to get your explosives? It's got to be from Zach Wilson's arm, and we know that he can do what he did at BYU. So let him at least try. Let him learn some hard lessons if you need to, but keeping a leash on him and saying, no, 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 you can't do this, it almost might stunt his growth in the same way that I think Denver stunted Drew Locke's growth. Um and I if they don't think he can do it, that's a problem. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> but even then, not to get too off topic, but like some of the sacks that he was taking yesterday, too. Like, each sack he took was worse than the last. Like, the, the the double spin move sack. Like, for great move to get out of the first one. Okay, he's out on the edge, eyes down the field, everything like that. And I'm like, you got a receiver on the sideline, wide open. Nobody around him for 15 yards. Your eyes are up. You're looking that side of the field. Throw the ball. <laughs> Throw the ball. And instead, he tried to spin around somebody else and took a bad sack. There was another one where um, I think it was like a – bubble screen off a sprint out or something like that. And like, they covered it up. Well, nobody was open. And so he's running and he's just holding the ball and looking down the field. I'm like, fucking throw it away. The play's over. Throw it away, Zach. And I, I don't know if he's like afraid of getting picked off while trying to throw it away or, or what, but he just tucked his shoulder and took a sack. And I'm like, is that why they're being really conservative with you? Like they don't, they don't trust you to get out of something bad. I, I don't know. The whole thing just gives me bad vibes, and I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the same as Drew Locke. Again, I'm not saying they're the same, but the same thing is happening to Zach Wilson right now that happened to Drew Locke, which is they are completely keeping the leash on him. And one of one of two things is why. Either they don't trust him for a reason, or they don't trust him. And they don't have a reason to. One of those is a fault with Zach. One of those is a fault with the coaching staff. I have yet to know, or I, I do not know yet, which one of those options this is.
2: Yeah, it's a problem either way. Because uh, if they don't trust him because they know, that's they're going to have to do something because this is a championship team in terms of its roster construction right now. But it needs a quarterback. Like yeah. That's the bottom line. As as evidence, our buddy Hayden Winks posted that they won despite completing three passes beyond five air yards. Three sustainable. And they were like a yard or two each. These were not bomb shots. This was like a seven-yarder and eight-yarder and another seven-yarder. This yeah. is a complete suppression of the passing game, and in the modern NFL, you're going to run out right somebody's going to stuff your run game and go okay go to your left hand go to your counter punch and if you can't throw past five yards that's effectively a stretch running game they're going to shut that down too and then they're going to be like and then what and the and then what is the jets are going to lose yeah it's just uh, again not saying he can't do it but you at least got to let him
1: try so we can find out if he can do it you know And, and if he flames out fine at least at least we get an answer You know, at least we get an answer. That's all we want is just an answer. Can he do it or not? We'll see. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but really quick, the job market right now is crazy, and there is a lot of competition out there to try to hire the best candidates possible for your business. If you yourself are also a small business owner like we are, and you need to hire on some extra help to get you through the holiday rush that is already upon us, LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster than ever before. Every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. So if you're hiring, that is the place you want to be. You can create job postings in just a couple of minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach not just your network, but the entire LinkedIn network of over 800 million people. And you can even use tools like screening questions to try to narrow down and filter your search as much as possible. So if you've been trying to hire someone lately and you checked all the boxes you knew you were supposed to check with good benefits and good pay and work-life balance and everything like that, and you're still just not getting any bites for whatever reason, try posting that same job for free at linkedin.com slash bootleg and see what they can do for you. Again, that is linkedin.com slash bootleg to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you again to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Um, all right. Three down number three. This one, one of the weirdest storylines of this season, not going to lie. Like, we we kind of saw it coming, but I also didn't believe it was coming because it's Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers do not look right. And I don't mean in the sense of, oh, it's just a hiccup. They'll figure it out. With each passing week, I'm waiting for them to figure it out, and it's not happening. And I'm starting to think that maybe this is just what it is. Like, maybe this is just what this season is. You know the offensive line is way up and down. The receiving core, again, I'm still waiting for it to come along, and it's not. You know you got Amari Rogers having as many fumble as many fumbles on punt returns in his career as receptions, <laughs> constantly sabotaging this team. I don't know when they're they're, they're going to learn the lesson to not use him as a returner, but apparently not this week. This team is broken, just completely broken. And there was a there was a stat um, that I want to I want to. Posit to you first, because I want to get your reaction to it. So they're sixth best in success rate on an individual play level. And if you look at success rate, how it's defined, that means they get at least 40% of their yards to the sticks on first downs. They get at least 60% of their yards to the sticks on third downs, and they move the chains or on second downs. Excuse me, 60% of yards to the sticks on second downs. And then on third downs, they move the chains. That's what determines success rate. So they're sixth best in the league in success rate. However, in terms of drive success rate, meaning drives that actually end in a score, a field goal, a field goal, or a touchdown, they're 31st in the league. And so I was like, why is that? And you look at their individual down success rates, they're 21st in third down success rates. So they're really good on first and second down. They're fourth in the league on second down, believe it or not. But when they get to third downs, especially like third downs, they got to throw, they can't do shit. And so their drives are constantly stalling, especially in between the 40s. They have uh, the fourth most plays in between the 40-yard lines in the league in just that little 20-yard stretch. And they're 11th in success rate there. But their third down success rate period, uh, success rate in midfield, uh, is 33%, which is like 25th in the league. So they're constantly stalling at midfield. As a result... They have very few red zone snaps. They're 25th in red zone snaps this year. So they're not even getting into scoring position. They're just constantly stalling out in these gotta throw it situations in the middle of the field and they can't fucking score. (laughs) And so it's remarkable how at an individual play level, they look fine at a situational level. It's like when we gotta get yards, they can't do it. They're like the anti giants and it's unbelievable to me that an Aaron Rodgers-led team can't get it
2: done when they absolutely need to get it done. If only a couple of guys on a podcast this summer had said (laughs) a major loss is gonna stall some Green Bay drives because in those plays and those two guys were us and it was our Packers preview in the divisional preview series and we said Look, the Packers are going to be able to create some offense. They're not losing their offense. They still have their players on the offensive line. They still have their rushing threats, and they do have some <laughs> receiving threats. <laughs> but we said with the loss of Devontae Adams, he was the guy that nine times out of ten, he and Rodgers could just will it to happen, and they did a lot. And then you can spread it around because you got three more plays, and you can, you know, Rodgers can pick the open guy. It's been going on for years. And the other thing is Rodgers has masked a talent deficiency generally in Green Bay. They're not an untalented team, but they are nowhere near as talented as the Packer faithful think they are because Aaron Rodgers has elevated the play of that team so completely. And for those of us that watch that team very closely from the outside looking in, we said two things. Aaron Rodgers is freaking amazing at the level of Mahomes we were talking about earlier. MVP amazing, Hall of Fame amazing, you need to appreciate him for what he is, and Devontae Adams is super duper duper clutch. And between those two, they make up for a lot, and you all think everybody's that awesome and they're not. Well, Devontae gets out of town, Aaron Rodgers is a little bit older, and all of a sudden, they can't get it. The drives break, they don't get into the red zone, they don't score, and the team looks completely human. On top of that, the league seems to have caught up with that. And Rodgers got calls. And that is a thing. It's no different than MJ getting calls when he was rolling with the Bulls. There was the MJ (laughs) rules and there was the Rodgers rules. And Rodgers got calls. And the Packers faithful didn't want to hear that either. There was a bunch of calls yesterday in Washington, Washington of all places, not what you would call a favored opponent, where. I was stunned, sitting in the bar, watching that game. Receiver gets hit at the catch point. Rodgers looks at the official and goes, cool, we're going. Give me the flag, right? And nothing. The refs hold their flag. The drive dies. Rodgers goes, what? Are you kidding me? That's my call. That's how we do this. And it doesn't matter whether it's a DPI call or whether it's a non-holding call on the offensive line. These type of things, they've gotten favorable treatment for years. And they expect it. You saw Roger's face yesterday. He expected that flag to come multiple times. And how quickly it's turned, everybody's like, no, you're average anymore, bro. You're not getting anything special. We're not giving you anything. And the combination of Adams leaving... Rogers getting a little bit older, the overall talent level, not being as good. And that's on the front office. They've made several mistakes in the off season. And then on top of that, not getting those flags, this team looks entirely frail and human and flawed. And we're not used to that. I'm not used to that. I am very used to Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things. I've said for years, he's got the ball a couple minutes left. They're going to win the game. Now, No, I have zero faith in that occurring. This is a very, very different Packers team, and everybody's catching up, not just the officials. The game we're going to in Buffalo, Rodgers is a 10.5-point dog in Buffalo. Fascinating stat. This is from Adam Schefter. Aaron Rodgers has never, with a capital N, been a double-digit underdog in his NFL career. Not he's this guy's played a long time, right? A Lot of NFL games under his belt. Even when he was a green starter taking over after sitting on the bench, never ever a double-digit underdog in his entire career. Next week, rolling into Buffalo, the current line is ten and a half. That's insane. I do want to mention one thing
1: because I don't I don't want the Packers faithful that listen to this show to say ah, it's just a couple Bears fans shit on Packers and penalties and stuff like that. In the Packers' defense, I know that they are fourth in the league right now in terms of net penalty yardage favoring them, believe it or not. Uh, They are fourth in the league. They have a net penalty yardage favoring them of 93 yards. Uh, Only uh, the Texans at 109, Atlanta at 119, and Minnesota at 183 are, quote-unquote, better in net penalty (laughs) yards. Uh, which is better than last year. They were 12th in the league in net penalty yards favoring them. However, to EJ's point, when it comes to situational penalties, you know, third and long, you know, getting getting a, a little rough in the passer there, or, uh, you know, a DPI that, that, that goes their way, you know, stuff that they just used to get on third downs. They're not getting those, like, big situational calls that they used to. So even though their overall net positive is better this year, it's not, not quite the same situationally, you know? So I I think it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a yes and no when it comes to the, the Packers penalty stigma. And, um, you know, it used to be, like, uh, how many times a week would we see, like, him catch a defense with 12 men on the field? Because he would get a quick count, and then Devontae would just go do his Devontae thing 40 yards down the field. And, you know, if it was incomplete, who cares? They would get five. And if, if it was complete, they would get a free chunk out of it with no consequence whatsoever. We're just not really seeing that this year, you know? And so I think it's it's still okay, But it's different, and it's just different enough to cause their overall drive success rate to go completely in the tank. And uh, I'm not used to seeing it. And I'll I'll tell you what, if they roll into Buffalo and they keep playing like they've been playing, they're going to lose by a lot more than 10.5.
2: They are. It's going to be a fascinating game because everybody is piling on the Buffalo bandwagon. As we are, Buffalo is the best team in the league in terms of overall offensive and defensive DVOA, like they're a complete team they are rolling. they're rolling their juggernaut we talked about that a lot but on the backside there is no more dangerous animal than a wounded animal and right <laughs> now Aaron Rodgers is super wounded he to your point all those plays that happen like that those free, play, he looked comfortable He looked relaxed and easy, and it always galled me because he was just that good. He could stand out in the middle of the chaos of an NFL football field and just be like, oh, look, they made another mistake. I'm going to hurt him and just smile about it. And he's not smiling a lot. He doesn't look relaxed. This team is not calm and comfortable. They are struggling in all phases. You're starting to see sniping on the sidelines and, you know, just a lot more sad faces in general but i'm not ruling them out again as a well-scarred bears fan i am not counting aaron Rodgers going oh yeah the whole world thinks i'm gonna tank it all right (laughs) let's see so it's gonna be a fascinating game i'm really excited to go but you know don't count aaron Rodgers out as much as we're saying they're not what they used to be and they're not it doesn't mean it's over it doesn't mean they can't win football games they have a very good coach They still have a great quarterback, and they have a lot of talent on that team. It's not clicking right now, and there's a lot of teams like that in the NFL. Some more we're going to talk about.
1: We are smack in the middle of fall now, which is obviously our busy season and probably a lot of your busy seasons too. But just because we're all busy doesn't mean that we still don't wanna cook good food at home with fresh ingredients. And that's where HelloFresh comes in because they deliver all of these ingredients right to your door. The produce was picked less than a week ago so it's as fresh as possible by the time it gets to you. Everything is all pre-portioned out so there's no food waste and it's even cheaper than if you bought the same stuff at a grocery store. But if you've listened to the show for a while, you probably know that already. What I want to emphasize today though, especially for people watching on video right now and not on audio, is just how freaking good the food is. I mean, just look at this stuff. It's delicious. We made the pork taquitos two nights ago and they were ridiculous. And it only took like 20 minutes to make. Every HelloFresh meal I've ever had has been legitimately really tasty. So me and my wife just keep the recipe cards so that we can remake these meals later whenever we feel like it. Kind of like we're building a cookbook as we go over time. So if you want to try HelloFresh for yourself as well, for no other reason than it's just good food, you can go to hellofresh.com and use promo code bootleg65 and that'll give you 65% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is hellofresh.com, promo code bootleg65 for a 65% discount and free shipping on your order. Thank you again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, All right, that being said, let's get to three fun and talk about some stuff that's a little bit more palatable. Uh, Okay, three fun number one here. Uh, I still don't know how the hell this happened, EJ. I'm I'm trying to recover from the Panthers after trading away CMC. Everybody's left them for dead. Everybody's like, ah, they're the number one pick. They're the worst team in the league. They're a complete disaster, which, to be fair, so far this year they've been a complete disaster. That complete disaster beat the Buccaneers, EJ. (laughs) And uh, I... I'm still kind of reeling from it. You know, Deontay Foreman got his, the you know, the new lead back there. Deontay Foreman got his. DJ Moore he had a, a decent day, you know, got 70 yards and a touchdown, you know, was playable in fantasy for the first time in a while. Uh, Walker, PJ Walker actually made some really nice plays there. I'm reeling,
2: man. I, I didn't see this coming,
1: but I'm happy. I'm happy for Panthers fans. They got it.
2: I'm really happy for Panthers fans and even more. So I'm happy for folks that I know that cover the Panthers and have to do this every day. It's a tough grind to put out content about a team that is underperforming and just flat out losing. And they have been for a long time. And I think what we may have underestimated at least recently is how much this team disliked Matt rule. Yeah. (laughs) And with him being gone, it's addition by subtraction again, cmc could say what you want he one of the most talented players on the panthers period had his health issues had his production swings where some days could take over a game and other days would disappear would not be a huge factor in whether they won or lost so optically oh you fired your coach and you got rid of one of your very best players you're not going to win what they got back was a sense of playing as a team some sanity in the coaching decisions we saw Terrace marshall get involved right i saw several Packer, or sorry several panthers commentators come out and say it really is criminal that Terrace marshall wasn't involved more often given his skill level for whatever reason um we started to see the leaks you often see when a coach leaves but there's a level to that of this is some of the stupid ass stuff that that coach did There was a lot of that in Panthers media over the last week with Rule leaving. This team wants to play as a team again. They want to play for Wilks. The video of him in the locker room after the game addressing the team Mm -hmm. has been widely circulated. You can see they are pulling together. You talk about DJ Moore. He got a game ball. They gave a game ball to Wilks. And mostly, if you want to get down to technically what happened on the field, the offensive line came together and got super duper physical. And when an offensive line gels and starts running over people, starts flat out bullying people, a team can do a lot of things. People Mm -hmm. say it starts up front. Wilkes said that in the locker room. You know, like Icky's been as good as advertised, especially in the run game. We knew he was a force and a bully in the Yeah, run game. we did. <laughs> and he showed that, but he showed it even more. Bradley Bozeman got his first start, had 11 positively graded run-blocking snaps out of 26 total, earning a 93.2 run-blocking grade. That's from Brad Spielberger, our buddy over at PFF. Obviously just one game, he says, but 42.3% of run-blocking snaps earning a positive grade is ridiculous ridiculous like that's a lot of wins and if you look at the big runs that Deontay Foreman ripped off there were huge holes I like Deontay Foreman I think he's tough and pretty talented they made it easy on him yesterday the double teams they were getting to open up holes against this is Vita Vea, right mm-hmm. this is one of the all-time forces they tore the Bucks' defensive line to shreds and looked like they were having fun doing it when they get to assert dominance fire off the ball and run over people they get hyped and again same talent level change in coaching same thing we said about dable the top this happened to be in season versus off season the team is suddenly dangerous they can beat some people where they looked pretty much defeated and like they were just going to run out the string before rules gone it's a spark it's fun to see and it's going to make the rest of the panthers season more fun to watch for sure
1: there was a, a big run, I think, on outside zone that uh, I can't remember which running back. I think it was Foreman that ripped it off. And uh, Iki Ikanu got up on Devin White on the second level. It just looked like a, an older brother picking on a younger brother. Like, just one hand on him. He's flying five yards. He's like, all right, give me another. Give me, You know, got him again. Like, huge, huge cutback lane. Like, Devin White had absolutely zero chance of getting around that giant, nimble wall of human. Um, but Aquano, I also want to give credit uh, as a pass protector. He's been fantastic as a pass protector. hasn't allowed a sack since week two. Um, has been one of the better pass blocking graded tackles in the entire league, not just run blocking. They absolutely nailed that pick. Um, Christensen at left guard, which we criticized rule a lot for for putting Christensen a guard because we're like, well, he was just he was just fine as a tackle. Um, well, he's, he's been more than just fine as a guard as well. So I'll give rule credit for that, at least, that that, that 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 conversion is going pretty well. And he had, again, some nice reps against Vita Vea, like you mentioned. Um, overall, just a, a phenomenal performance by, the, by that offensive line. And this is what they wanted. They wanted to be able to run the ball and protect whoever was playing quarterback for them whether it was Baker, whether it was Sam, whether it's P.J. Walker, like they wanted to not have to do a whole lot in the passing game. And that's what happened against what on paper is one of the best front sevens in the league. So credit to them. Like you mentioned, they played for Steve Wilkes. They put it all out on the field. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Christian was watching at home. Like where the hell was that (laughs) this whole year? Where was that guys? But Hey, credit to them. They made it work.
2: By the way, speaking of offensive linemen, and this will make Packers fans happy, hmm. we skipped over to Zach Tom, had his first start.
1: Oh, don't even remind me. I'm so I'm still so pissed. Like, first of all, Packers fans, I love Zach Tom. I adore <laughs> Zach Tom. That crushed me that the Packers got Zach Tom and the Bears didn't, especially when they had so many chances to do it. And you know and how he, you know how he did. 35 pass blocking snap, zero pressures, baby. He's fucking great. (laughs) He might be the best player in that old draft class. I love Zach Tom. He's going to be so good for the Packers for so long. I love that kid.
2: Yeah, so seeing guys like Icky Quano, and again, this is what the Packers drafted him for, seeing Christensen guard or tackle, but again, yesterday, getting after it at guard, seeing Zach Tom come in and be good. This is what we want to see. A lot of times when we're sort of lower on a player in draft analysis, people think we don't like him or that we don't want him to succeed. Not the case. We would love for him to prove us wrong. In in the case of all three of those guys, we liked all three of those guys. Christensen, we wanted to see more from earlier. Aquanu, like you said, has been pretty much great from the jump. And Zach Tom getting his first start, real action. You can never tell until they get on an NFL field. And even in a loss against a good defensive line, had a very solid day. So really cool to see young players develop, especially along the offensive line, because those are building blocks. And if your line plays well, the chance that your team's going to go decently are much improved.
1: Uh, Three fun number two, the Dallas defense once again proving themselves to be one of the most entertaining singular units In the entire nfl you know whether it's you know Diggs getting interceptions although this one was a little bit debatable uh you know you got micah parsons doing micah parsons things every week but i really want to talk about tank lawrence because so many people not necessarily in cowboys media because cowboys media has always been very pro tank um i think there's been a lot of either national media that doesn't watch a whole lot of cowboys games closely or fans that have been getting on Tank Lawrence and saying that, uh, oh, he's not worth the money, he's not getting sacks, blah, blah, blah. You watch that forced fumble he had at the goal line, which, by the way, was the play after Micah Parsons uh, chased somebody down to get a stop at the one doing things that only Micah can do. Very next play, first and goal from the one. uh, They're running G lead on the goal line. And DeMarcus splits the double team and then disrupts the pulling guard, takes on the fullback, which is actually a tight end, who is lead blocking, stones him in the hole, makes the tackle on Jamal Williams and forces the fumble, Dallas gets it back. It was a four-point game in the fourth quarter. And he beat four guys by himself and forced the fumble. Tank Lawrence is worth every fucking penny he's being paid. I don't care he's only got three sacks this year. I really don't care. You look at the leadership he brings the run-stopping ability, how he sets up other people to get sacks in terms of how they're running all these different stunts and games and stuff like that. Like He is one of the most underrated singular football players in the entire league, and so I'm dedicating three fun to Demarcus Lawrence and everything he does because he is fun, more than anything, fun
2: to watch cowboys fans like shiny things they love the new thing there is a contingent of cowboys fans that have descended on the place i watch games on sunday and they are the loudest and most opinionated fans in the place automatically they've vaulted to the top of the power rankings and they love whoever's hot i don't care whether it's a punt returner a new receiver like whatever they they love shiny new things and maybe that's a and a you know an extension of their owner but Demarcus Lawrence has been with the Cowboys for a while, and he was the rock, is the rock on one side. As long as he's healthy, he has been a guy that has contributed at a really high level. But the Cowboys fans always want to know who the other end's going to be. Are we going to keep Randy Gregory? Who are we getting? Who are we drafting, right? They sort of tend to forget about folks that play well, excellently, even time after time, week after week. And Lawrence is, for folks that watch line play, if he's in there, he's making a difference. He's making an impact. Right, And again, it might not be sacks. It might not be the flashier plays. So some Cowboys fans might tend to forget about him from time to time. They shouldn't. He's really, really good. And, you know, Dak's first game back, too, and he reminded people he's really, really good. I was, you know, again, as you look at all the TVs in that place and you watch all the quarterbacks across the league, starters, backups, who's ever playing on the week, and Dak's been gone for a few weeks, comes back, and I'm like, hmm. Probably about 20 teams in the league would take him as their quarterback right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's top 12. Yeah, Yeah. easy. Like, 20 teams in the league would take him because he comes in, he spreads the ball around, which is a Dak Hallmark has been since his rookie year. He will hit the open guy. He will leverage receivers. And, again, if you look at the top three leading receivers for the Cowboys yesterday, one of them was Dalton Schultz, which is a guy we talk about all the time being a glue guy. But the reason is because – Dak was doing exactly what we talked about the Packers not being able to do continuing drives. Dalton Schultz was the drive continuer yesterday. Oh, 10 yard completion on third and seven, 10 yard completion on third and nine. Like, that's Dak is willing to do that. He does it smoothly and easily. Is he as mobile as he used to be? No. You know, can he take as much punishment as he used to? No. Does he still throw a really pretty ball to just about all levels of the field? His deep ball's not great, but it's there when he needs it. Like, dax 19 of 25 207 yards of td with no picks very efficient led this team kept them moving even though they're you know you might say oh where was michael Gallup? yeah one reception for like five yards Mm -hmm. It, it didn't matter like and again if this team's gonna play complimentary football they might be one of the really good teams in the nfl we don't know they've survived with him being gone which is super cool and you know you get to see plays like that from DeMarcus Lawrence if you're looking and the offense has been good enough like they're not a bad team I'll tell you that are they a good team I don't know we'll see I think they're a team they're a little bit of a
1: of an enigma where it's like you know they can beat anybody mm-hmm. but they kind of have to beat them in a certain way which is defense taking the lead you know, you're you're getting a you're getting a turnover, you're getting momentum, and they're almost like a. I see them as like a, a win more type team where the the more they're winning, the harder they win, if that makes sense. Like they're they're a very much a momentum based team where it's like Mike is getting a strip sack and they're recovering it, and then Zeke's ripping off carries and Pollard's getting an explosive play, and ah, oh, there's CD in the back corner of the end zone, and then we roll it back, you know, and then uh, we force a punt and Turpin's getting a return that sets up another like. When they get momentum, I, I, there's almost nobody that can beat them. Sometimes it takes a little bit, of, little bit of effort to start up that engine, but boy, once it's going, they're tough to stop. So I think they can beat anybody. You just never quite know if if it's that weak for them. Hence the Detroit game where it's 10-6 to 6 in the fourth quarter, and you're just waiting for it to happen, and eventually Tank Lawrence got that engine going. But uh, anyway, three fun, number three, rounding off this segment, uh boy, it's an interesting week for NFL offenses. It's really an interesting season for NFL offenses because things look a lot different this
2: year than than we're used to. For sure. So when was the last time you saw this? The weekly rushing leaders, the top five weekly rushing leaders versus the top five weekly receiving leaders. Now, how do you think that typically works out if you've been paying attention to the NFL at all lately? And I mean within the last three to five seasons. Receiving leaders outpace rushing leaders by a good margin pretty much every week because it's a passing league. We say that all the time. This week, nope. We're back to that upside-down week. The top five rushing leaders had 671 yards total. The top five receiving leaders had 626 yards total. Doesn't happen all that often. Absolutely happened this week. Um Fun fact about those weekly receiving leaders, even though their yardage totaled up to be a little bit less, out of the top four they go: Cincinnati, Cincinnati, KC, KC, and another team. <laughs> so well, four like, of <laughs> the top five came yeah. from
1: two teams. That goes back to that uh, that Josh Norris tweet where he's like, "Can you name more than six good teams?" And everybody's like, "Yeah, Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, Bengals." Uh, Shit! (laughs) (laughs) it it, it pretty much stops after Bengals and you're like maybe
2: yeah and then it starts with just what you said about the Cowboys oh they could be this team could be you know the Seahawks are good Lions offense like you start chucking up half bits or you know situations where they could win but you're not like I would favor that team on a neutral field right now there's about four or five of those depending and everybody has their own reasons and allegiances but that's the reality of the NFL this year.
1: And I know again a lot of Giants fans that are this deep in the show are going to be like, "Well, you didn't mention Giants with the good teams and they're 6 and 1. Okay, let's let's get one of their receivers over 200 yards in 8 games and let's then I'll feel a little bit more comfortable about them going into Buffalo and winning. How about that? Like they're they're fine. They're making it work. But you neutral field Giants versus Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, Bengals, Who's winning those games out of those four? Probably not the Giants, right? So, you know, let's give it a few more weeks. Let's see if they can, like, you know, blow somebody out. And then I'll feel a little bit more comfortable about putting them in that, like, obvious Super Bowl contender tier. But until now, they're fine. They're making it work, which for now, that's better than what we expected in August. So I'll take it. Uh, All right. Next segment and our favorite segment, bootleg shot of the week. EJ, it's a good week for Shot of the Week because uh, our favorite Category 1, once again, offensive line. We love a good pancake over on Shot of the Week. And uh, apparently the audience does too because they voted for Terrence Steele flattening some poor Eagles corner last week on Sunday Night Football to win Shot of the Week. And uh, I, I agree, personally. That was the one that I thought we were going to get all along, and we got it. So I'm going to pour my uh, my nice little Alto Reposite. I'm almost through it, by the way.
2: Oh, you got Reposado? I went to the liquor store this week, so I got to restock on one of my favorite sipping uh, bourbons. This is Ghost Owl Pacific Northwest. It's Canadian whiskey finished in X rye barrels, and then they add a little bit of American corn whiskey at the end, so it's a really nice sipper. Um, It's only available regionally, which I found out, because a bunch of people were like, that sounds great. Where can I get it? And they looked it up, and they were like, I can't get it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) sorry, but... It's really good. So, Terrence Steele, here's to you for running over Cheers much smaller humans because it's part of your job.
1: That is concerningly easy to do at ten fifteen in the morning, EJ. <laughs> ah, time's
2: just a number. It's 5 o'clock somewhere in the world.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. No, great play. we got four more great nominees for you this week. Um, it was kind of tough to narrow it down to four, but we managed to do it. Number one. Kirby Joseph blowing up C.D. Lamb, which was uh, probably the one that immediately lit up your inbox, just like it lit up mine. Yeah. I probably had five people that were like, shot of the week. And I was like, Try- it's already on there. Trust me. So Kirby Joseph, nominee number one. Uh, Chidobe Ouzier. Uh, yeah, Ouzier. Sorry, I always get nervous about that name, even though we're like in year seven of his career. But okay. Chidobe uh hit pits at the goal line, made a phenomenal play to keep him out of the end zone which I think would have been his second straight game with a touchdown uh, or a healthy game with a touchdown. And uh, my fantasy team really needed that one, but no, not going to get it because Owousie made a great play at the goal line there.
2: I uh, love that one because of the situation. That one, like, it's not as big as the first one. Kirby Joseph, look, you you cartwheel somebody, you're going to get attention. When you put somebody's feet above their head, like, yeah, everybody's like, oh, but the Owousie hit at the goal line had meaning. Form tackle is a tough play to make. Uzi gives up a bunch of pounds to Pitts. Like that was there's a lot about that one.
1: Forty pound difference, maybe. Yeah, and he just
2: flat out stones him and moves him horizontally, keeps him out of the end zone. That I just from a like technical football perspective, that one has a lot of that one has a lot going for it for me.
1: Uh, Nominee number three (laughs) feels like we get this one like every three or four weeks. Uh, Low red zone over the middle against Minka Fitzpatrick. When are we going to stop trying that? Because he he just comes in and crushes people every time. A little bit of a choice right out of the backfield from Raheem Mostert. And Minka's just sitting like three yards inside the end zone. Like, are they going to do it? Are they going to try? Okay, I'm going to go absolutely obliterate this guy. Put his shoulder right into his chest. At full speed, first look at it, you're like, ah, was that helmet to helmet? It was not. Minka's learned over the years that he's going to get flagged unless he explicitly explicitly, and sometimes sometimes he still gets it anyway, but explicitly okay. hits the chest because this is a very common hit for him. Uh, luckily, no flag for him. It was clean, it was legal, but it was a hellacious shot.
2: I feel like I need those little stop paddles that the guys on the aircraft carriers have when they're lining up <laughs> planes. I'm just <laughs> like, going to cross them to head coaches. Like, don't, like, make us there. Stop, 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 stop doing this. Don't set your guys up. Uh, but they keep doing it and make us more than happy to oblige. He has an old school mentality about hitting people. He has adjusted his style so he gets less flags, but that doesn't mean he's gonna spare the horses. He is coming on those routes, and the results are, uh, you know, if you're the offensive player, they're ouch. If you're a Steelers fan, they are
1: woohoo. And then uh, fourth and final nominee, we have a, a classic uh, shot of the week nomination. Uh, again, the bubble screen. Where a corner reads it, shoots it, makes a form tackle. Uh, This time is DJ Reed, which actually I think he's also been nominated earlier in this season for doing the exact same thing. Like you throw a screen at DJ Reed, you're you're fixing get a tackle for loss. Like he's really really good a at tackling in space and b at reading it. And so this is like twice in five weeks that I think he's got nominated just for this same type of hit alone. DJ Reed on the screen, blowing it up. And uh, once again, Denver. Denver paying the price for below-average quarterback play.
2: Yeah. Put it mildly. This one was fun visually. DJ Reed with a great read. Snap reaction. Hits Judy right in the chest. And Judy kind of had to jump a little bit, so his feet were off the ground. And that's always a recipe when you've got a guy with a head of steam hitting you in the chest and your feet aren't on the ground. I almost nominated Trevor Lawrence in, like, a lifetime achievement category this week. (laughs) Uh, but it was more like a game time achievement category because this week, every time I looked up at the TV, Jaguars, Giants, like Trevor was throwing some balls for his receivers that we would label hospital balls. He was leading them into contact. And there was mm-hmm. even a couple of times he knew it. Like he threw the ball, and, like I got whacked. He hopped up. Yeah. And Trevor made that face as he was running down to the huddle. He's like, dude, sorry. Like I, I, I'm really glad you caught that. That's my bad. But he did it, like, three or four times, so I almost nominated him just for, like, you know, game summary achievement for setting up a bunch of shot of the weeks. Uh, He's going to have to knock that off or his guys are going to get short arms in a hurry. Uh, But he just had a couple.
1: (laughs) No, they won't. They'll be dead by then. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's not something he does all the time, Jags fans. Don't think I'm getting on him, But this week, if you go back and look at the tape, he led a bunch of his receivers into contact, and the
1: results were pretty disastrous. What was the – the Steve Smith quote, um, if if you lead me over the middle and you throw it high, that's my problem. If you lead me over the middle and you throw it low, that's your problem. I'm going to make it your problem. <laughs>
2: and if anybody in wide receiver history in the NFL was going to make it your problem, Steve Smith Steve is fully, Smith, yeah. Steve Smith is fully <laughs> capable of making it your problem. So pay attention when he's talking.
1: Uh, all right. Week 8 watch list, and again, we are going to be at Packers-Bills, so while we're, you know, wolfing down food in Mudlot and, and drinking our adult beverages, we might, we might have to kind of look at whatever TVs are strewn about the parking lot to catch yeah. some of these games. But for the folks at home, who were the best games in Week 8 for them to watch?
2: yeah next week's gonna be fun schedule wise we'll work it out but i feel like we're at the point of the season now where we can kind of throw out preseason expectations rankings the whole who's gonna win thing we know now we've got seven games off the docket we know which teams are actually doing it and which teams we said we're gonna do it but they aren't doing it so based on that we have a sort of real world watch list for you giant seahawks these are two teams that are right there nipping at the edge of we're good teams are they complete yet no do they have their flaws sure do they play hard every week and do they win games that they should and shouldn't yes to both so giant seahawks is going to be fascinating steelers eagles battle of pennsylvania always fun are they both great no should this be a super balanced game no on paper the eagles should blow them out We'll see. It never tends to work out that way in this particular game, so that's why it makes the watch list. Bengals-Browns, same thing. AFC North tilt. I think Bengals are playing a good sight better than the Browns right now. I'm going to throw the records out because AFC North games get vicious and wild, and this should be both. And I am oddly fascinated by Dolphins-Lions because mm. Lions are – Super lopsided. The offense is amazing. The defense is horrendous. They've been putting up a ton of points. The Dolphins have two a back and are legitimately one of the most fun teams to watch on offense in the NFL. Mike McDaniel is as advertised. He's bringing some some real fun to that. It's going to be sort of strength on strength on offense but I think the Dolphins defense is a little bit better but I'm not sure so I'm going to be keeping a sort of side eye wherever we are on that game and then like you said the bonus is we will see Packers Bills live from the stands after some amazing tailgating at the mud lot come join us if you want to but that's this week's watch list
1: uh, well if the Lions DBs have better hands than the Steelers DBs uh, you know maybe they won't drop four picks like Pittsburgh did last night against Tua but, mm, we'll see
2: Shout out to Jeff Akuda. Speaking of Lions DBs, he is playing well, and I'm really happy. He was a high pick for a reason. He came, you know, around uh, all the way across the formation on a wide receiver, basically pitch, wide toss, and stoned it for about a two yard gain. Like seeing Jeff Akuda play like he did at Ohio State has been hugely gratifying this year. He
1: had 15 tackles yesterday.
2: He's a. Beast. What <laughs> you insane. you know me. Yeah. You know me at this point. If DBs, especially corners, don't tackle, I don't have a ton of use for him. And Akuda was excellent in phase in the passing game, but he's also a tough guy in the run game. And we didn't really see that. You know, injury and then just not a mesh with the coaching staff. He's openly said I wasn't coached. They just basically said go out there and do it. Like He's getting coaching this year. He is healthy and seeing him be that dog against all types of plays from the offense is is a lot of fun.
1: Uh, all right, with that, let's get to last call.
0: You got to go home but you can't stay here.
1: My last call is a little bit hypocritical, not going to lie, but I I'm willing to own that. Because I want to highlight uh, the dangers of going all in. Obviously, it's worked in some recent seasons. The Bucks went all in when they grabbed Tom Brady. They won a Super Bowl. Uh, the Lions traded away Matt Stafford. The Rams were going all in. they have I don't think they've even had a first-round pick in like half a decade. And at this point, they're trying to trade more first-round picks for Brian Burns. They might go a full decade without a first-round pick. They're continuously going all in. They won a Super Bowl. But there is a danger to it. And there are three teams in the top six picks of the current projected draft order, which is from one through six, Lions, Texans, Panthers, and then Eagles, Texans, Seahawks. Picks four through six, Eagles got it from the Saints, Texans got it from the Browns, Seahawks got it from the Broncos. All three of those teams that gave up these high picks went in, all in, for 2022. Um, You know, the Saints felt they were they were left tackle away unfortunately they've gotten a whole bunch of injuries thomas landry that left tackle uh trevor penning himself also got hurt jamis got hurt they've got the fourth overall pick oh wait no they don't it's in philly the texans you know they gave away deshaun watson uh the browns went all in on that monstrosity of a contract uh the suspension ended up being longer than they expected They're at like 2-5 and right now and well out of playoff contention. Whether or not they're even going to be able to salvage their season, who knows. They went all in for this year and paid the price. The Broncos went all in on Russ. They have been just short of a disaster. The Seahawks are the number three seed in the NFC right now and still hold that pick from the Broncos at number six. So going all in is great, but boy, you better win the Super Bowl because if you go all in and then you get bad injury luck and you fail... Then you got a double whammy of being bad and not getting a pick out of it. It's been horrible for those three teams.
2: And in the most shocking upset of week two, Coleman keeps it under two minutes. There we go. I'm a professional. Uh, you're say. so good. You're so good. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to take on the topic that we touched on earlier, which is how many good teams are there in the NFL? All right. I'm going to say that there are maybe five good teams right now in the NFL. And that's kind of shocking. That's my point. If this is the upside down week of the NFL, um, Joe Marino, my buddy, put out a stat that 14 NFL teams, 44% of the league, are currently averaging one or fewer passing TDs a game. That is down from previous years, if you weren't aware. The entire NFC South has losing records. They are all both consecutively fighting or, you know, fighting at the same time for the top spot in the division or a top five pick like any given week. They can be fighting for either one of those things. The parity of having six to eight good teams is gone this year. Parity is lots of teams that can win any week but get blown out the next week. It makes betting a very disastrous exercise, um, but it also makes predicting in terms of who's going to come down for those picks or high divisional places or even playoff spots very very difficult it makes for exciting broadcasts every week but it plays hell with everything else Um, we are used to having six to eight good teams almost a quarter of the league we have less than that this year and it makes the landscape feel like mm, pretty shaky footing Uh, in particular the weakness overall of the nfc is going to make the playoffs an absolute week-to-week affair The NFL is unique in that every team has to line up and you get one shot. It's not best three out of five or five out of seven. And this year, that's going to be sort of exacerbated or turned up to 11. It's going to make for some very exciting football. It's also going to make for some very disappointed fan bases. So be aware, buckle up, and uh, have plenty of beverages on hand.
1: Yeah, the NFC playoffs other than the eagles i don't trust anybody
2: (laughs) right it's gonna be like who has the hot hand and i mean like right now in a micro sense like today with injuries with how they played last week with how they ate breakfast and are feeling this morning it's so tenuous the gap is so small it's gonna be fascinating but you can't really go into even the early round playoff games being like well this is a mismatch why do we even do these extra playoff games this year it's gonna be like i don't know like bro maybe. The, the panthers are one
1: game out of hosting a playoff game right now I 100 <laughs> <What the fuck? laughs> best example
2: you could possibly give given their results this week um there was a better and i talked to you about this uh offline that put up $80,000 last week right after the coaching change was announced that the Panthers would not make the playoffs and for his $80,000 stake he would win five grand if the Panthers don't make the playoffs. Now with the Panthers existing record history says no way <laughs> right no way in hell they make the playoffs Uh, this year I wouldn't feel so good about that return on my 80 grand
1: yeah, especially if the offensive line keeps playing the way I mean I can you imagine like how he was sweating out yesterday. Like, please God just be bad. And yeah, give just, me one more loss and they're out. Loss. But
2: uh yeah. no. Yeah, he's, he's gotta be uh he's got laser eyes right now for Steve Wilkes. He's like, yeah. Come on, man, help me out here. I put up eighty grand. Yeah. Uh all right, EJ, what do you got coming on Bears Over Bears this week? uh we have all 22 review it will be for the patriots which is tonight's game the monday night game so depending on how fast the a22 comes we may not be sort of recording live on wednesday night and then publishing on thursday like we've been doing it might be a late uh day later this week but it will come out we'll have a good time should be an interesting game of course bill belichick has a chance to pass george Hallis as the all-time wins leader by playing the bears which is both ironic and a little sad but we'll see how that goes
1: uh, I, myself, on the film room, am still debating my current topic. I think I might do it on Kyle Pitts. I'm still working on the Broncos episode, so I know it, it's not going to be on the Broncos offense being bad, even though I've been to two Broncos games so far this year. Still need a little bit more time for that one to cook. But It's your uh, fault. It's uh, your it fault. is my fault. It is my <laughs> fault. <laughs> uh, if only it was that easy. So I'm kind of debating between uh, Tariq Woolen, Sauce Gardner, and, and Kyle Pitts right now. One of those will come out this week. But I gotta about, get it recorded before I go to Buffalo.
2: So, oh, how about Tariq Woolen versus Sauce Gardner? That was actually
1: kind of what I was thinking about doing. Was because they're the two see. guys in the lead for defensive rookie of the year right now. Which how often do you see two corners as the as the two guys in the lead in that race? So it's 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 a fun topic. But also Kyle Pitts uh, being on my fantasy team, I'm gonna try to reverse curse that and see if we can uh, resurrect my luck here. Uh, also, one more note: This came through while we were recording. Uh, Brees Hall officially did tear his ACL and meniscus, so he's out for the year. Um, obviously, wish him the best and speedy recovery. He's a great running back, and uh, we'll we'll see how the Jets recover from his loss because it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty tough for them to do. Uh, thank you to all of our executive producers: Marat, Consti, Caden, Fitzy, Taylor, and once again introducing Liam, our sixth executive producer over on that top tier over on patreon appreciate all you boys for supporting the show helping make it all possible um hopefully one day uh if any of you guys live around buffalo you get to come tailgate with us that would be wonderful so we can uh, thank you in person with some beers so with that all being said uh thank you once again for watching and listening we'll see you guys very soon over on next week's show and next week's stream and until then later take care